A quick note here before we begin this episode of What Am I Rolling? This episode's one-shot, The Wishing Sigil, does contain mature content. Content warnings for this game include bullying, child endangerment and neglect, child abuse, childhood trauma, violence, gore, body horror, supernatural horror, adults abusing their power, and thoughts of suicide. This game is not appropriate for children under the age of 15. Therefore, this episode may not be suitable listening for children and vulnerable persons, and also may not be safe for work listening either. You have been warned. Hello, and welcome to What Am I Rolling, a twice-monthly RPG one-shot podcast, hosted by me, Fiona. This is part two of our Wishing Sigil one-shot so make sure you've listened to the first part before continuing on with this episode. Life was good. So very, very good. The holidays were coming, and you were looking forward to spending them with your loving family. Then, the unthinkable happened, and you were torn away from them. Now, you find yourself spending the darkest time of the year in a place where no one seems to care about you. That is, until some of the other children start disappearing. In The Wishing Sigil, the player writes daily journal entries about their time in the Victorian workhouse in the weeks leading up to Christmas. Each morning, the player receives an email with a prompt for the day, a question or two, or a situation they find themselves in, and they must write down their answers to craft the story of their encounter with holiday horror. During the game, the player will be drawing sigils, symbols meant to bring about their character's innermost desires. To complete the sigil each day, they'll be answering questions which will determine the next line in the drawing. When it is complete, the answers the player gave will determine what happens next. One last thing before we begin. Naturally, there are times in this one-shot where the players and myself, well, most of myself, because I was the player in this game, get the rules wrong or forget something plot-wise. And just a heads up, you can probably tell from like day 19 onwards, I wasn't feeling very well. I was very, very sick over Christmas when I was recording this. So try not to judge the acting, narrative, performance, I guess, in the last couple of entries I do. Because as I said, I was very, very ill and very, very tired. But I got it finished, which is the more important thing. Whilst we always endeavour to stick to the rules wherever possible, at the end of the day, we all make mistakes. And what matters most is that everyone enjoys themselves. Day 13. The whistle awakens you, and for a moment you forget that you had the day off. Then, the body says, you don't think they'll actually let us rest today, do you? During breakfast, you see many well-dressed people milling about, talking kindly to the children. None of them talk to you, though. After breakfast ends, the woman who stood next to the foreman yesterday calls. Now, children... We're going to the park today. It's a little bit cold out, but I think we'll have fun anyway, don't you? Something about her voice makes you not trust her, 
But all the other children, your friend included, seem convinced. The day is, indeed, very nice. That night, after everyone goes to sleep, you don't need the voice to command you under the bed. You just go. Answer the following questions. How do you interact with the bully during the day? Do you respond when they speak to you in the morning? Do they try and eat breakfast with you again? Do they even play with you during the day? Whilst we haven't always seen eye to eye and the stuff that went on before, whenever Liza does try and talk to me or try and engage with me, I do engage back, I do talk to her back. I think because she asks me that question, I don't give her like a proper response, I maybe sort of shrug, I sort of say, I don't know. I think I'm as apprehensive as she is about this whole thing. Because she's trying not to act out in her normal, maybe violent ways or using her violent tendencies, she's trying to engage with me as a friend or as an ally, I guess. I feel she's quite lonely right now. I let her sit with us at breakfast again. And again, she probably doesn't talk that much or contribute much to our conversations. Maybe at times we sit in silence for long periods. But that's okay, it's sort of... It builds something between us. Trust? Some sort of friendship? I don't know. Of course, I don't forgive her fully for what she did to me, but I feel like I have to try and understand her and try and appreciate the circumstances of which we're in. We don't play... Like I said, it's been a long time since anything like this has happened, so when we get to the park, I think both Liza and myself are quite overwhelmed with the whole experience of being outdoors. And whilst we had all these plans, I think we just take a moment, sit on the grass and relax. Probably side by side, maybe Edwina is there too. Watch the other kids run around, playing hide and seek, maybe doing hopscotch on the gravel path. It's just taking in that scene, just taking it all in, and we appreciate having silent company and being calm for the first time in a long time, with no machines, no fires, no noise, no smells, no heat, just sitting on the grass, looking out, taking it all in. What activities do you do in the park? Like I said, we just take in. We don't engage in any of the sort of running about. Edwina, will, halfway through the day, will go play tag with some of the younger kids. I don't take part in these activities. I just watch them. All the kids are here. Oh, goodness knows how many. Some as young as six, some as old as me, maybe a little bit older. Running about and enjoying this time we have. It feels so much better than the small breaks we were getting before. Maybe I watch the adults for a bit. Some are a bit standoffish, but some of them do take part in the games. It feels... it feels like home. Though you are sceptical, what do the members of the Society for the Benefit of the Orphaned Young do that wins you over? Late into the afternoon, I think it's almost time to go, and I see the lady. She calls all the children together and sort of sits us around in this huge circle. I think she says some sort of spiel about the society, and it sort of goes over everyone's heads, but she says there's a special treat for us all here today. I'm 
put on guard by this. And she gets out a book, and she starts reading from it. And instantly all my fears and worries about what is going on are gone. And she starts telling these incredible stories. They're a little bit like Georgie's stories. Tales of knights saving princesses from the dragons. Tales of children outsmarting witches with gingerbread houses. Ugly ducklings turning into swans. A race between a tortoise and a hare. And so on and so on. And these beautiful stories she starts telling. I am enraptured by these stories. And I think all the other children are as well. What are you scared will happen if you don't go into the bed and draw? What are you scared will happen if you do? I don't know what will happen. Something terrible. For some reason, I feel that if I don't do as the voice asks me to, I'm putting more children in danger. Those children that went missing, the child that went into the tree, I think I've come to terms now. I think it is connected in some way. If I don't do as it asks, it might take one of my friends, it might take Edwina, it might take Liza. I don't want that. I can't put my friends at risk. But if I do go, will I go mad? Will I die? What will happen to me? What if... What if I disappear? What if I go into the tree? What will happen to my family? What will happen to Georgie? Read through your answers and think on them. Then, link the dots on the next sigil. What are your desires? Choose one. I've already got a triangle drawn. The choice I have is blood or chaos. I've had this choice before and I know I chose chaos. I don't want any more bloodshed. I don't want any more. I don't want anyone else to die. I don't want to choose chaos. Where... Please. I'm going to choose chaos. It is the lesser of the two. I don't want anyone else to die. I don't want any more bloodshed. You chose chaos. How fun. The voice chirps. I'm glad I chose you. You'll find the world is all chaos soon enough. That night, you dream of dried up rivers, forests full of fire, earthquakes and storms. You wake up the next morning feeling at peace. Everything is going as planned. Day 14. You look instinctively around the room and... and see that the bully's bed is empty. The sheets are in disarray and there's a pool of blood on the sheets. You and the other children rush over the blood is still wet but cooled, and there are clumps of fur that look like they've been torn out of a large animal. The bully clearly put up a fight. <laughs> you move through work in a haze, but the day is uneventful. It isn't until near the end of the workday that you notice the other adults there are the overseers. No members of the Society for the Benefit of Orphan Youth seem to still be there after your lovely time at the park yesterday.
you slide back under the bed that night and continue your drawings. Answer the following questions. How do you feel about the bully's disappearance? Oh god. <laughs> I'm genuinely... Genuinely, I'm upset. I... I didn't want this. I wanted no more bloodshed. Why did it take her? I didn't need to take her. I didn't need to take anyone else. She was scared. She was scared. I did this. I took everything away from her. I took away those other children. I left her alone. I scared her. I threatened her with this, with these sigils. I, I didn't mean it. And now it's taken her. This is all my fault. And this animal fur, I don't understand why it's doing this. Please. Bring her back. Do you think that the Society for the Benefit of the Orphan Youth will come back? I'm... I didn't notice they weren't here to the end of the day. I... I've been thinking... I've been... I just... I was thinking about Liza and... I don't care. I don't care anymore. I mean... I mean, I care a little bit because I think they've changed their name from young to youth. But I think that's a typo. So, I don't think that's part of the story. <laughs> we'll just pretend that it's the same organisation. And I'm not paranoid at all. I don't know if they'll come back. And frankly, at this point, I don't care. I let my guard down. I thought everything was okay, and, and I had stories, and I had the park. I had everything I wanted, and now it's just, it's all gone to shit. And it's my fault. I don't care about the stupid society. What does your friend say that scares you? Edwina notices that I am upset about... Liza's disappearance and I think she tries to cheer me up like she tries to keep my mind off it she knows that talking about it doesn't help but she tries everything and then when I don't respond or I, I don't show any sort of engagement with what she's saying I think there's a moment during the day when we're working together she says I don't know why you bothered with her she was mean and nasty to you and then she leans in and whispers to me, I bet she got what she deserved. And looks at me, dead in the eye. And I freeze. I get up and I, I move away. I, I, I back away from her. And then the spell's broken. She sort of tries to come towards me and says, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to. And I, I run away. I, I run out of the room, down the corridor, past the overseers and just away from her. How could she say something like that? How could she say Liza deserved it? No one deserves it. Read through your answers and think on them. Then, link the dots on the next sigil. Oh no. 
What are your desires? Choose all the answers and join the dots. Oh my god. We've got five words. We've got... Will you soon see them? I mean, you could read it in certain ways. You could read it like that. You could read it as, Will you soon see them? Or, See them, you will soon. I've got to join all, all the dots. You faint just as you finish the sigil. Day 15. You awaken in a cave. You hear the light trickle of water somewhere. The crackle of a small fire warms the room. You see the silhouette of a horned beast against the light. Did you know a little child wished you dead with all their heart? You struggle to move your arms, but find that they're tied behind your back. The ropes hurt. It snarls in a syrupy hiss. The feast is not yet prepared. I need more food for my friends. It gestures a clawed hand around the cave and you see seven other children there, all bound. You try to scream, but nothing comes out. The beast agilely lumbers towards you, its face inches from yours. In its dark pupils, you see the bully's face reflected. It hisses. The hiss sounds like the morning whistle. You sit roughly upright in bed, the morning whistle still sounding in the room. You're drenched in sweat and panting, but you're in the sleeping room. Your friend comes over to comfort you. Work is harder that day. The machines are moving faster again. And, used to the slower pace from the previous days, you make some mistakes. This causes you trouble, of course. Whilst you work, your friend asks twice about your nightmare, but you cannot tell them. So they drop it. That night, you climb under the bed. Answer the following questions. How does your friend comfort you? When I wake, I can't speak. I'm so overwrought with emotion and I'm panting, I'm crying, I'm sweat, it's just sodden everything. I think all Irina can do is ask me, am I okay, what is wrong? And I just can't, I can't speak, it's so, my chest is so tight, my heart is so full. She just hugs me. She hugs me hard and tight, and she grabs my hand and puts it on her chest and tells me to follow her breathing, and we sort of get in sync in time with each other. Breathing in, hold, breathing out. Breathing in, hold, and breathing out. She helps me become calm again. She glances round and finds the one half of the locket she presses it into my hand and then clasps her hand around that and then repeats the breathing process again. In, two, three, hold, two, three, out, two, three. And having that cool bit of metal against the skin, having the presence of someone there holding me, I slowly start to calm down. 
whilst the memory is still there, the pain in my chest, the, the pain around my wrists I thought I felt, has gone. How do the overseers show signs of their returning brutality when you make mistakes? There's another inspection of the goods that we were creating. We line up all at our stations with our pairs of gloves we've been sewing throughout the day. And the woman returns, the one that's all angles, her hair done up in a very tight bun. She glides from station to station, not saying anything. And then she gets to mine. And she stares at me. Without sort of turning, she starts looking at the gloves. And then she starts ripping them and taking them and picking the stitching piece by piece. Well, this is not good enough, is it? I don't know what to do. I hold my breath, hoping it will end soon. Once she's unpicked every single garment I've created, she sort of looks at me, asks me for my name. Ida, I say. Well, Ida, your work is substandard. You've been slacking off, I feel. Maybe you are not suited for the sewing room. Maybe we should transfer you to the factory floor. Teach you the value of good, hard work. Silence in the room. After seeing all those children's deaths and related injuries to those machines, I don't want it. I sort of shake my head and say, No, no, I, I, no, ma'am, I can... I can it was a mistake. I, I can... And she slaps me across the face. I was talking, she says. It's very rude to interrupt. I hold my face, a horrible burning mark across the cheek. I'm keeping my eye on you, Ida. Make sure your work is back up to standard. And then she continues on, not making any more comments. Nobody looks at me. Why won't you tell your friend about your nightmare? I want to tell Edwina. I really do. She seems so worried and scared for me, but I can't. After what she said yesterday about Liza, how she deserved everything she got, when I know, I know it's not true. When I know, deep down it's my fault. I can't tell her. She probably wouldn't believe me, but I know the truth. And maybe if I told her, something bad will happen to her, and I can't allow that to happen. Read through your answers and think on them. Then, link the dots on the next sigil. What are your desires? Choose either one. Pain. Or peace. No more pain. I'm going to keep fighting this. I can't allow any more pain or any more bloodshed. All I want is peace. So I choose it. I choose peace. Oh, how I hate that word. The voice growls. It's too late for peace now. You can't go back on our agreement. You dream of ash falling from the sky, coating everything. The buildings, the trees. You can barely breathe. 
Day 16. At breakfast the next morning, there are fewer children than usual, and the room is a buzz with children talking about the scene in one of the sleeping rooms. Two children went missing, and one child's body was found, looking like it had been attacked by a feral animal. Both the child's hands were mangled, as though they tried with all their might to fight back and failed. The overseers are letting no one near the room, though, and you're all sent to the factory quickly. Work that day is back to the way it was before the Society for the Benefit of Orphan Youth pretended to care about you. The overseers whip anyone who talks about the events from the previous night. And you see one boy, who won't stop, have his jaw broken to shut him up. Your friend spends most of the day crying quietly next to you. Answer the following questions. How does the overseer's cruelty affect you directly? It's a question of being in the wrong place at the wrong time. As we're lining up to be sorted into stations and to get started on today's work, there's a couple of children behind me talking in probably graphic detail about the child's mangled hands. It's quite intense and not very nice and they're talking about it and saying oh what could have done it what could have done it and they are speaking quite loudly I turn around and I hush them saying please be quiet and as a result I get caught in a sort of almost crossfire as one of the overseers picks out the whole group and I just so happen to be with them and they're brought out of line myself included and whipped hard there's no point in arguing about what I was doing for the overseers it's all-or-nothing punishment. So with trying to stop people talking about it, I also get horrible welts on the back of my legs. So sitting down for the day to sew garments and sew gloves isn't a pleasant experience. What, if anything, do you do to cheer your friend up? I try to engage Edwina in conversations about our families again. I name all of my siblings to her, I talk about them, I talk about the hymns we sang. I talk about anything and everything about my life before this place to try and gauge some sort of reaction or some sort of familiarity. Because that's what she did with me. She tried to talk to me about how similar we were. And I try so hard. She engages with it a little bit, answers some questions, and like for a moment it does seem like she's going to get out of this sort of fugue state. And then she goes back to crying softly. I'm sort of at my wit's end. I don't know how to make things better. What is the worst rumour you hear about the events of the previous night? And why do you believe it absolutely? The worst rumour that I hear throughout the day isn't about how the two children ran away or go into the pit or are outside or something like that. It's nothing like that. It's it's much worse. It's, It's about the hands they talk about how the hands or what was left of them looked like in a way cloven hooves and that chills me to the very core it's a throwaway comment it's nothing it's just one child describing it to a group of others in graphic detail and that sort of phrase looks like cloven hooves it sticks out to me and I'm almost sick to my stomach about it Read through your answers and think on them. Then, 
Link the dots on the next sigil. Oh no. Oh, it's another one. What are your desires? Choose all the answers and join the dots. Into the three point star we've got going. The only two options I have are wash the blood, wash the blood. Oh no. As you finish tracing out the symbol, you feel a sticky, warm substance on your fingers. You try wiping it against your shirt, but it won't come off. It smells metallic. It's blood, you realise. Remember that this is all on your hands. The voice breathes heavily before you feel yourself falling unconscious. Day 17. The whistle seems louder the next morning, and the food for breakfast is colder than usual. Work in the factory is just as brutal, and all day, children whisper to each other about plans to escape. They are careful to be sure that the overseers can't hear them. You know what the penalty for that would be. When you ask your friend if they want to try to escape with you, they shut you up immediately. Don't even talk about that, they whisper harshly. They'll beat us just for saying it. You know what you'll be wishing for tonight. Anything will be better than being stuck here, you think. Then you shudder. You know how the voice might twist a wish like this one, and you do your best to push that thought from your mind. The wind blows harshly outside as you crawl under the bed that night. Answer the following questions. Who are you more afraid for? Your friend? Or yourself? Why? I'm scared for Edwina. She's like me right now, so fragile and so on an edge and could drop either side of it. Like yesterday she was crying so much and today she seems almost resolved to get on with things. She knows how bad it's here, she knows the cruelty. And she must know that children are missing. She must be frightened as well, but maybe she doesn't know what to do. I want her to get out with me. I want her to come with me, but I'm worried that something bad will happen to her. Like it happened to all these other children. Because she didn't do something I needed her to do or something I wanted her to do. She can't just stay here, though. This place will eat her alive, just like it's eaten all these other children alive. I think... I think something bad will happen to her. I need her to get out. How much do you think about the bully? Have they even crossed your mind before this question? I do think of Liza. I catch myself thinking about the dream I had, about her face being reflected in these eyes. I don't know where she is. I... I hope... I pray... she isn't in that cave with the other children. I hope that she just... Oh, I don't know, I just... I beat myself up about it at every minute, at every opportunity I think about it. This overriding wave of guilt. I just feel it crashing over and over and over. I worry that I might turn a corner, look out at the tree, and she'll be stood there. I'm worried that I will hear noises from the spinning jenny room, and I just... Oh, God. 
please let her be okay. How could things be even worse tomorrow? Well, Edwina disappearing, Liza's body being found, dead with no hands, more children dying. The possibilities are endless, really, but maybe the worst of all, someone finding out that it was me. All of this is my fault. I don't think I could bear it. Read through your answers and think on them. Then, link the dots on the next sigil. What are your desires? Choose either one. Friendship or a way out. And then after that choice, choose either one. Knowledge or violence. I have to get out of here. I've got to choose between Edwina and my own escape. I'm not brave enough. I'm sorry, I'm not brave enough. I choose a way out. What a choice. Knowledge or violence. No more bloodshed, no more... Fine. Fine, you want me? I'll take it. I'll take knowledge. You chose knowledge. Curiouses and curiouser. The voice mocks. I've been around as long as fear itself. Now you know it's all about me. You dream of children being sent to war. They run and fight with the strength of their hope. But hope is not enough. Day 18. In the middle of the night, you hear the sound of screaming. First adults, then children, in the corridors outside your room. You tiptoe to the door to see what is happening, and you see four adults beating two children from a room near yours. Trying to escape, huh? One of the men growls as he brings a heavy boot into one of their ribs. You hear a crack. The men have their backs to you, but you know what they would do if they turned around and saw you. You sneak back into your bed. You glance at your friend. They are staring, wide-eyed, back at you. They mouth the words, Get back into bed, slowly. You barely sleep that night. On the walk to breakfast, you see a few spots of blood on the floor. You step around them carefully. Work that day is work. A few times that day, you see your friend glancing out of the corner of their eye. When you look towards them, they quickly look away. You spend most of the day fantasizing about your escape with them. You know they will never follow through on it. Answer the following questions. Why do you think your friend keeps looking at you? I think she knows. She must do. Or at least knows something. She knows I'm connected to Liza's disappearance. She knows that those other kids were laughing at me and bullying me. She probably saw them beat me up before. And now all of them are gone. She's watching me. She's seeing what I'm about to do next. 
she must hate me. A murderer. An accomplice. Killing innocents. What am I going to do? I need her to be on my side. I need her... I need her to believe me. I didn't want any part of this. Describe your escape fantasy. Even though it represents the best case scenario, who has to get hurt for you to get away cleanly? How badly? So, I think the plan would be to get out to the allotment. The walls there, it's not as high as the one around the whole factory itself. It's a little bit lower. It looks out onto some terraced houses and their gardens. It'll be a struggle for one person, but for two people, helping each other up, it would be perfect. It's the easiest way out from what I saw. In my head, I imagine that late at night, me and Edwina slowly make our way out of our sleeping room, avoiding the patrolling overseers, slink down the main hallway, out of the back entrance of the kitchen, across the yard, into the allotment patch, skirting around the pit, not looking in it at all. And then we get there. I ask her to give me a boost up. I try to work it out, like I am taller than her, so I can at least reach the top and then lean down to offer an arm to help her up. But every time... Every way I think about it, the still same thing happens. I think about the silhouette. I think about the singing. Whether she slips from my grass and falls and hits her head onto the paved floor, or the overseers catch her just as I'm about to pull her up, it's her. Edwina gets hurt. All these horrible thoughts keep crashing in. The blame for Liza's death manifests itself over and over and I can't help myself. I feel like there's no way out for both of us, but I need her help to get out. Sometimes when I think about it, it's bad, like a twisted ankle or maybe, or maybe a hit on the head, but sometimes I see the overseers catching her, dragging her and throwing her into the pit broken body lying there. These intrusive thoughts, I shake them off. I'm desperate to get out. I can't risk her. I can't risk losing her. But I need her. Read through your answers and think on them. Then, link the dots on the next sigil. What are your desires? Choose either one. Some quiet... Or no bloodshed. I know, <laughs> yeah, that's not a that's not a hard choice right now. I'm choosing no bloodshed. Enough people have died. And then choose either one flesh or bone. <sighs> I don't know which one I'd choose. Both do not sound great. I am going to choose... Oh gosh, I'm going to choose... 
oh, I'm going to regret this decision. I'm going to choose Bone. I just, neither of them are great. Oh, Bone it is. You chose Bone. Respond to the following prompt. Your dreams take over. You're replaying one of your memories, running around the streets of London as a younger child. What's something that you remember about your old friends? I remember their laughter. I remember having a good time. This is probably playing one of our famous hide-and-seek games. And I'm really bad at keeping quiet or keeping still. And I can hear the giggling and laughter of my friends who can easily spot me and easily see me. It's a simpler time and a much happier one. You find yourself running towards a path an alleyway you've never seen before, still at the age you were before. Everything grows dark around you fast. You turn around and notice a body on the floor. You try and wake them up, but they are dead. You freeze when you hear the sound of bones crunching. You shrink back, watching the body stand up all on its own. Its own head turned all the way around, its arms and legs at impossible angles. It smiles with lips stretched so far back you can see the insides behind its mouth. It feasts on you. You are now part of the nightmare. Day 19 The next morning, one of the children who was beaten two nights ago limps into breakfast. She's too late to get any food for herself, but her little brother runs to her crying. You see that he shares some of his food with her. After breakfast, before your work begins, you are held at the entrance to the factory. The foreman gives a short, clear speech about what will happen to anyone who tries to escape. They, and anyone in their room, will be beaten. If anyone hears of plans to escape, they are to report them immediately or face similar punishment. As part of the additional restrictions, the doors to your rooms are locked at night. This means that no one has access to the bathrooms after 8pm. It doesn't matter for you or your friend. At this point, that's the most people you feel like you can look out for. Answer the following questions. Who in your room is upset about the lockdown? How do they respond? Everyone's upset. It's hard enough, not having enough food, not even having access to have privacy just to go to the bathroom. They give us a bucket for those who can't hold it in until the doors are unlocked the next day. Most of the kids just cry. A young girl is just rocking back and forth, crying her eyes out. Of the older kids are comforting the younger ones, but everyone here is miserable. Edwina struggles, but she doesn't respond. She's more restrained. After her crying a few days ago, I think... I don't think she's got any emotion left. I think she's completely drained. I'm upset. I want to get out. They can't treat us like this. I think out of everyone, I'm the one that responds the most. I beat my fists on the door. I scream. I cry. At one point, in a fit of madness, I throw the bucket filled with shit and urine just at the door. It smashes and the whole thing is just emptied. 
and I get some really dirty looks. I don't care. I can't treat us like wild animals. And now... Oh God, is this what it's like? Is this what Liza felt like? Powerless? Helpless? I just sit on my bed after that. Angry. Smell of shit everywhere. Your escape fantasy has turned even darker. Who's getting hurt now? What do you dream of sacrificing to get away? It's still the same fantasy. We creep out, maybe this time through the window. We tie our bedsheets together, we climb down that way. But it's not Edwina who's with me. It's Georgie. And it's the same thing that happens. She tries to lift me up and then gets captured by the overseers. Hear a scream. She's being pulled apart by these overseers, each one grabbing one of her limbs and pulling and pulling and pulling. She doesn't stop screaming when they rip her body apart. I know it's irrational. She's not here. But the thought that she could be hurt through some means of my escape can't let that happen. I find myself thinking about doing deals, compromises, thoughts. Take, take anything. And then it gets darker. I start offering other people's lives up. An overseer. You don't need me. Take them instead. The girl from breakfast. Her brother. I do come back to myself, though. I can't sacrifice these things. I'll never get out of here. Read through your answers and think on them. Then, link the dots on the next sigil. What are your desires? So, it's a line that goes all the way down. It's already connected to a dot that says, A way out. You can only choose either no missing children or no punishments. I'm angry, but I don't care about punishments as long as no more children go missing. That's all I care about right now. Why so desperate, little man? The voice sings. Its voice like shattering glass. Day 20 You've settled into a new routine. Each day, you have a few near misses with injuries because of how carefully you're looking out for your friend and how tired you are from drawing late into the night. Still, you can survive this, and no one's been taken in a few nights. Perhaps the bully was the last one to be taken. Maybe it's all over. You know it isn't. But you can wish. When everyone has fallen asleep that night, just when you're about to crawl under the bed to draw, you hear your friend climb out of their bed and walk over to you. Are you awake? They whisper. You nod. I need to talk to you. Answer the following questions. Why don't you believe the voice has taken everyone it will take? The voice is planning something. I don't know what, but it needs children. It needs sacrifices to make things work. 
it's gone back on its word before. It thinks I'm pathetic, and yet it loves me. Maybe it will be satisfied, but something's not right. I think it's waiting. It's waiting for something. What were you scared your friend was going to do when they got out of bed? For what feels like the longest second, when Edwina sits up in bed and walks towards my cot, and then she stands just over me. I thought, this is it. She could kill me. I can't see if she's got a pillow with her or not, but she might try and smother me in my sleep. Maybe she's picked up a tool from the from the workshop and is going to try and slash my throat. She knows, she knows, she knows. And then she whispers to me. She asks if I'm awake. I almost breathe a sigh of relief. My paranoia breaks. No, she doesn't want to kill me. What does your friend reveal to you? Edwina sits on the corner of my bed. And... And she... She apologizes. She says that it's been a really hard couple of days for her. This week would have marked her sibling Georgie's fifth birthday. She can't stop thinking about him. She had for months planned on getting him the biggest present, saving up all pocket money. To buy him a nice wooden toy. Like a little duck that he could pull around all these weird accidents, and then me behaving oddly as well, it, it became too much for her. She holds my hand and says, Let's try and escape from here. I'll come up with something. I'm sure you've been thinking of plans too. Let's get out of here. Together. I almost cry. She doesn't hate me. She doesn't know. We can get out of here. After speaking with your friend, you almost forget to go under the bed. You quickly slide under the bed and start drawing. Read through your answers and think on them. Then, link the dots on the next sigil. Well, what are your desires? You can only choose one, and the sigil's already complete. It's just a straight line down to the option of nothing and there's nothing else I can't even choose what are my desires nothing you feel a warm breeze blow around you you want nothing the voice asks then you'll get nothing you drift into a peaceful slumber Day 21 You wake up in the morning, still thinking about what your friend told you last night. As the whistle sounds, you stretch, roll to look at them, and and feel as though you have been kicked in the ribs. The bed they sleep in is, is empty. Sheets are in tatters, and you can see the blood from here. Your chest tightens and you feel your heart catching in your throat. 
rush to that bed, sobbing. Her blood is still warm, but there's so much of it. You don't know how long you'll sob for, but you're pretty sure you've missed breakfast. As you kneel, clutching the torn sheets, you hear the sound of a throat being roughly cleared from the door. You look up, one overseer is standing at the door, holding a baton. As you look at them, they see the blood on the sheets, and colour drains from their face. (laughs) Get out of here, kid, they say quietly. It's not, Christ's blood, you don't need to be here with this. They stand to the side of the doorway, and you shuffle past them. The day is a haze. You spend the day completely aware of the seat next to you. It doesn't matter that the word of the attack is spreading, and that the other children are afraid. They should be, you think. One of them should just throw you into the machine. You nearly do it yourself a few times. But you don't. As you go back into the sleeping quarters that night, you cannot help but look at the bed where your friend used to sleep. The sheets have been changed. You don't even wait for the other children to go to bed before crawling under yours. Answer the following questions Why don't you throw yourself into one of the machines? I feel numb. I've been dreading this moment ever since Liza was taken. And now it's got Edwina. She was my only friend here. And now she's gone. I'm at a loss. (laughs) There's a moment where I pause and I look. I see the wheels, I see the levers see the arms going up and down, creating the thread, and there's the moment where I'm tempted. There's nothing left for me here. I'm all alone. No one would care if I just... just stepped into the machine. And the thing that stops me, one thing, I think of Georgie. The noise ebbs away and it becomes nothing. I think I see her. Standing down the corridor. Staring at me. I blink and she's gone. I can't end this here. I need to get out. I need to get back to Georgie. My story cannot and will not end here. One of the other children says something they don't mean to hurt you that cuts you to your core. What is it? And why does it hurt so much? I spend the rest of the day in the sewing room being incredibly quiet. I don't speak to anyone. Just sewing more and more gloves. And because I'm so lost in my own thoughts and not thinking about work, another child next to me, a girl with long, 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 thin plaits, she puts her hand on my shoulder. You look like someone's just died. I stare at her. Why would she say something like that? I back away from her. Oh, no, no, just a joke. I just... 
and I turn and run out of the room, tears streaming down my face. Because it's true. Because I did kill someone. It's a small thing, but what tiny sign gives you a shred of hope that your friend is still alive? I run to the washroom and I wash my face in a cold bucket of water, but at least it hides the tears. As I make my way back to the sewing room, I see that they're clearing out the workstation next to mine, the one that Edwina was at. Glancing at the desk as they move it away, there's a small carving in the desk, a little little duck on wheels. It gives me hope. Maybe... Maybe she's still there. Read through your answers and think on them. Then, link the dots on the next sigil. What are your desires? Choose up to two and join the dots. And from the three options I have, to see your friend, to sleep, or to be with your friend. That's a no-brainer. I'm going to do it again in the upside-down Y. I want to see Edwina. And I want to be with her. I want to make sure she's okay. As you finish the last line, your arm falls by your side and your eyes close, luring you into sleep. You feel a cold air wrap around you, causing you to shiver. You're sitting on wet stone ground. You feel your arms tied behind your back. You notice several other children, familiar faces, all unable to move as well. Welcome to the feast. The voice echoes in the cave. The source of the voice steps out of the light and moves towards you. You hear its hooved feet clop against the stone. You open your mouth, and only air comes out. You see the terrified look of your friend in the reflection of the beast's eyes. Your friend is still alive. Day 22 You climb out of the bed mechanically in the morning, the dream from the night before haunting you. In a way... The hope is worse than thinking that your friend is dead, but it's all that you have. You eat your breakfast without tasting it. You do your work without thinking about it. A new child is placed next to you, and a few times during the day, you think, for a moment, it's your friend. Each time this happens, you barely stop yourself from crying. A few times during the day, one of the overseers barks at you about your productivity. One of them even strikes you a baton in the back of the head when you don't respond fast enough. You barely feel it. You return to the space under the bed that night. Answer the following questions. <laughs> Why won't the voice just kill you? Why won't the voice just kill you? Why won't the voice just kill you? I don't know. It's waiting for something. It needs me for something. It needs me to complete the sigils. I don't know how long that will be. It's only a matter of time. 
can't live like this. Sorry. I'm so sorry, Edwina. Sorry. Read through your answers and think on them. Then, link the dots on the next sigil. What are your desires? Choose all the answers and join the dots. I think we all know what this means. In each option I have, they all say the same thing. They say, take me. You draw the same sigil until your arm can barely move, and you switch to your other hand. After nearly an hour of drawing with your non-dominant hand, the voice snarls in your head. Little child, you want me to take you. You want me to make the pain go away forever. You start to sob, unable to answer. I feel pain. Before the sentence even ends in your head, you feel two furred palms grab you, one at your throat and one gripping your neck. You instinctively try to scream as you're torn from under the bed. The voice holds you in the air as you try to breathe, but can't. It takes a paw off your mouth. You don't try to scream. You recognize it from your dreams. It stands almost seven feet tall. It's grey fur matted with blood, soot and mud. Its horns and teeth and angular jaw wide open are even more terrifying when they're really in front of you. Its long, forked tongue slivers out between its sharp, crooked teeth. As your vision becomes blurry from a lack of air, the voice's tongue rungs across your face. The world goes black. Day 23 You awaken, the side of your face cold. You must have drooled on your pillow. No, it's hard. A stone? But it's wet. A small puddle of water. The breath catches in your throat as you try to inhale, and it feels like something in your throat is almost broken. You blink a few times and realize that your head is resting in water. You try to sit up, then struggle. Your hands are tied behind your back, but you feel like you can slip out of them if you tried hard enough. Your feet are tied together. As your eyes focus, you see a group of children near you, all asleep. It's too dark to see clearly, but your friend? They seem to be on the other side of the cave. You drag yourself across the floor, and as you get closer, see it's true. They're here. Breathing. Alive. You start to sob, large, heaving sobs as you scrape yourself along the floor to get to them. You notice that no sound comes out as you cry. A few children wake up, look at you, then roll over and go back to sleep. As you touch your friend, they wake up and look at you. They start crying too. Their forehead rests against yours, and you cry silently for a few minutes. Though you have both lost your voices, your friend manages to give to you the lay of the land, by mouthing words and motioning around the cave. 
Soon, the voice will come back. It sleeps here. No one has escaped successfully, though a few have tried. The last child who did had their arms ripped off, and the voice ate them in front of everyone in the cave. The bully is here. Henry is here. All of the children that have been taken are here. You notice sigils painted on some corners of the walls. They look familiar. After you've been there for a few hours, the voice enters. Children, it says aloud. The time is soon. My family will be here soon. You will make a fine feast. Sleep well. Eat well. It throws a roasted pig on the floor and a few loaves of bread. The children move towards them. No one shoves. There is plenty of food for all. The voice smiles and walks back to the entrance of this room. It curls out of the door and snarls. Eat well. You manage to slip out of your knots and help your friends. The first thing you do when you're untied is hug your friend. Answer the following questions. How does your friend communicate with you whilst voiceless and with their hands tied behind their back? Edwina does a number of things to try and communicate across what she means, but it's difficult. It's mostly through nodding and shaking of her head. The more frantic it is, the more important. She communicates that the voice is coming soon by, well, doing an almost uncanny impression of it, trying to grin ear to ear. I get that almost immediately. She nods to the other children that are there and points out Liza, Henry, all the other children. There is still some hope. They've not been killed straight off. And then she nods to sort of the remains of, well, the last child that tried to escape. The blood's still sort of slick on the floor. I don't need her to go into too many details about that. It's gruesome enough as it is. Even though there's no sound that comes out of her throat, I can feel her hot breath on my face it's almost reassuring in a way that we're both here together now and when I finally untie Edwina I just hug her for as long as I can I try to say sorry, I try to apologise and say it's all my fault but no words come out I think she understands though she doesn't let go how do you interact with the bully if at all after I untie Edwina, I go in and untie Liza. She's been here a few more days than Edwina has. I think she's still in shock. I try and shake her, but she doesn't respond as well. I also hug her, check her over to see if she's hurt at all. It takes a little while to come around, but eventually she does. There's like a quick smile, then goes back to sitting on the ground. At least she's okay. What do you notice in the cave that might be helpful later? There actually isn't much in the cave. We now have little bits of rope that tied our feet and hands together. They're only small pieces and they're frayed quite badly now. The only thing, really, is the fire. There's at least 
some smouldering embers. If we can build it up, perhaps we can fight it off, maybe set the fur on fire. Or at least throw it into its big, luminous eyes, blinding it for a bit. You do not draw sigils when you feel as though it should be time for it. Breaking that habit feels strange and wrong. Instead, you investigate the cave and realise that the sigils are all the same ones that you have been drawing before. You realise that those must have been how the voice came through to the sleeping quarters. Before going to sleep that night, you and the other kids slip back into your ropes to avoid detection. Day 24 You sleep most of the day, but at night, the voice moves around the cave, checking things, arranging wood near the centre of the cave to create a fire pit, though it doesn't light it. The cave is very cold. After arranging it, it slinks out of the cave. A few minutes after it leaves, the bully stands, stretching their arms and rubbing their wrists. They quickly start untying the child next to them nod at the bully. Having a bit more time today, you're able to explore. Looking around the room, one of the children finds a bag and opens it. A rush of wind flies out and melts into every child. Hey, your friend says. You can all finally speak. The bully explains to you that everyone will need to be quiet and tie themselves up again before the monster gets back. Some of them call it a Krampus, but you can only think of it as the voice. You explain to the other children the sigils, and that maybe, just maybe, they can bring you back to the workhouse. The hours pass. You and the other children hatch a plan to escape whilst the voice is asleep. Then, one by one, tie each other back up, leaving the ropes loose enough to slip off when you put the plan to escape in place. A few hours later, the voice comes back. It pulls two children out of the large burlap sack it has across its back and throws them roughly to the ground. Answer the following questions. What do you tell your friend as soon as you can? I tell Liza that I'm sorry. As soon as I can, I just sort of turn to her. My eyes wide and I'm about to say, and she sort of shushes me, saying that she knows. She knew that something was wrong, but she didn't know what. And she tried to think about it, and she thought that night, when she came to my cot and we talked about escaping, she thought it would be over. She didn't. She thought it was fine. She says she doesn't blame me for what happened. She says that all that matters now is we need to get out of here. I can't tell if she does forgive me or not. I certainly wouldn't. I think just before tie ourselves back up, waiting for the voice to return. I turn to her and I say, can get out of here. We'll both be able to see our Georgies again. How do you interact with the bully, if at all? I think after the initial untying and hugging of Liza, and she starts to come back to her senses, we keep ourselves to ourselves a little bit any sort of relationship we had we were trying to become friends has sort of gone a little bit I can't tell if Liza forgives me or not she tries to give out instructions and comes up with suggestions 
she also listens, helps instruct the other kids of what to do. She's quieter, for sure. Whilst we were never friends, I promise myself that I have to get her out here to make it up to her. I think we just try our best to get on with things, really. What is the plan to escape? How confident are you in the plan? Well, once we work out which sigil will take us back to the workhouse, I'm going to start teaching a couple of the kids how to make it. Maybe we could have several people trying to go use the same sigil. If that doesn't work, I'll get one person, maybe Eliza, to do it. But that means there needs to be a distraction. And possibly someone left behind. I... I say this aloud... And in silence, I say, well, naturally it should be me. And there is almost a clamouring. I silence them all, saying, this is my fault. I will do this. I will be the distraction. I explain about my theory about the fire pit and using the things. I can dart around quickly. I can put the fire pit in between me and this creature. But we need to make sure that everyone gets out as soon as possible. So whether that's making many sigils, or using a couple of people to make one big sigil and just go for it, maybe Edwina also volunteers to be a distraction, and I say only as a last resort. This is on me. I need to finish this. Not confident at all. <laughs> it's not me trying to die as a martyr, it's me trying to put things right. If this is our only shot, then that's it. I know the voice can see right through me at times, so it all sort of relies on me to make sure this works. I have to make sure this works, regardless of how confident I feel about it. Read through your answers and think on them. Then, choose the sigil that you think will be able to take you home, and practice linking the dots. So I have a choice between three. The question is, how do I get home? Then choose which sigil will take you home. Each one of the sigils says, link all the dots that you think will make the best sigil. The first one is just a line down, and then on either side it says hope and friendship. And the second one is just another line down, and then at the bottom there's two more choices that say love and family. And then the third one is another line straight down, but at the top it says blood, and at the bottom it says chaos. Uh, well, I don't want to pick three. Thinking about it, three always invited the creature in. Oh, but maybe that would be good. Maybe that's the way we get back. I think I just want to avoid blood and chaos, essentially. So then it's between the hope and friendship sigil or the love and family sigil. I guess the question is, how do I get home? I wonder if I means what I want, so I guess I would want the love and family one. But if we need to get home, if everyone needs to get home, then maybe the hope and friendship. <sighs> hope and friendship, love and family, chaos and blood. I am going to choose... I'm going to choose the first one. I'm going to go hope and friendship. Link all the dots you think will make the best sigil. Well, hope and friendship. 
You've been drawing the sigil for hours. Nothing happens. But you're only practicing the sigil. It must be that you're only practicing the sigil. Day 25. This is the day. You wake up with the boy still asleep, and soon one of the other children gives the sign. Choose a sigil that you think will be able to take you back and link the dots. Draw other sigils that you've created since the beginning of this game around this one to make a web of sigils. This will be your portal home. How do I get home? And we've got the freeze choices. We've got the hope and friendship choice, which is the one we've been practicing. We've got the love and family. And we've got chaos and blood. Well, we've practiced hope and friendship. <laughs> Let's do this. I draw the hope and friendship sigil. You chose hope and friendship. When the portal opens in front of you, who is badly injured trying to fend off the voice? I take a deep breath and I look to the others and I start drawing the symbol. First time it doesn't happen, second time it doesn't happen, but third, it starts. The sigils begin to glow and suddenly there is almost like a shimmer in the air and we're looking almost through a window. It's a pure grey, you can't see through it, but it's just different to the stone. There is a roar as the voice stands up to its full seven, eight feet height. How dare you cannot get out. Its horrible furry arms reach out to grab the nearest child. And it's Liza. Liza just comes from nowhere and tackles the beast back. This sudden force of anger and hatred just barrels through the voice, pushing it back. It stumbles and falls. One by one, I'm ushering the children to go through. And as they do, there's a sound of a... As the children start rushing through. I'm making sure every child gets the chance to go through. I make sure Edwina goes through it. And then I turn back and hold out my hand for Liza. She reaches for my hand and then I see this horrible claw reach out and try to grab her shoulder. There's a horrible scream as Liza is pulled forward but the claws still grab her shoulder and pull back. There is a horrible tearing sound as material and flesh start to come away. I pull and Liza's with me horrible claw mark from her left shoulder all the way down her back. Blood starting to seep through her shirt. I pull her through and put her into the portal. And then I turn and face the voice. How is the voice killed before you all go through the portal? The voice slowly stands. Its grin horribly stretched across its face. Now, now, how dare you spoil all of my plans? 
out for me, but I duck underneath its arm, losing myself between it and the fire pit. I grab up a piece of flint. You can't escape this, little man. It says, We're in this together. You made all this happen. I'm desperately trying to hit the stone against stone to create sparks in order to light some sort of fire, some sort of anything. Then it stops. It's grin even wider now. No matter. I forgive you. I didn't want any of this to happen. Let's start again. Just you and me. We don't need anyone else here. I slowly edge down as it's talking to me and pick up a handful of grit and soot. I didn't mean to hurt you. I promise I won't hurt you again. I slowly start taking a step forward. Its eyes staring into me, staring into my soul. Come here. I'm literally feet from it, its face warring into my own. Just let me love you. And with that, I throw the grit and the sand and the soot into its face. It howls back reeling from the pain I turn and start desperately trying to spark off the fire into life one, two and three, the fire starts to light with all the fuel that the voice has been putting together, it ignites instantly I grab a stick and I just turn and throw it right into the blinded face of the voice the scream scream is so much I don't think I've ever heard anything like it I start to run, get to the portal and turn back and I see the whole figure has caught a flame its fur its arms, its legs its face a blaze of fire and fury the only thing I can make out is the eyes these two large luminous eyes staring at me and then I turn and go through the portal and as I do there's a final as the portal closes when you go through the portal you find yourself outside the factory describe how the factory is destroyed as you all stand outside safely watching cold air hits me as I hit the cobbles outside the factory. Fresh air fills my lungs as I pant. And I turn back to where I think the voice will follow. Just to see smoke and ash as the factory itself starts to burn. There's whole groups of people here. Children, adults, overseers from the factory all looking and staring. In the distance I can hear bells. I feel someone grab my hand 
and I look. It's Edwina. Her face brimming with tears, smiling, holding me. I see Eliza a little ways off, holding her shoulder, looking to me, then looking to the fire. I look back, and in the smoke, I can just barely make out two eyes staring down at the group below. But then the smoke shifts and the image fades away. It's over. You're back in London, no longer constrained to the factory or the Krampus. You're finally free. You feel the cold frost hit your face. It's over now. Describe what your life is like in the week following the events of December. After the fire, no one knows what to do with all these children. There is chaos, essentially. There is a lot in the newspapers, blaming the machines, blaming the overseers, and then the public outcry of what to do with all these children. The society steps in. The woman leading it insists that no child will be without food and bed for Christmas and the New Year. They rally round the orphanages, they rally round the richer folk of society to take in a couple of children here or there. It's not ideal, for sure, but it's the least they could do after seeing the terrible conditions of the factory. Myself and Edwina get put together with a couple of other children. I don't see where Liza and Henry go. We're actually given board in an old church just down the road from the factory. The vicar and his wife take great pains to look after us, make sure we are watered and fed. It's a damn sight better than working against the noise of the machines and against the fire in the sewing room. What do you do on New Year's Eve? We have the midnight service, a carol service. The one for midnight mass on Christmas Eve got delayed thanks to the fire, so the vicar reorganised it for New Year's Eve. We gather round the small chapel and start singing hymns. We're given a few moments of reflection just as the clock strikes midnight. We hear the bells chiming in time. What gives you hope that the next year might be better? As we make our way out of the church, I look up to the stars. It's such a clear and beautiful night, and I breathe in huge, deep breath. I hold it, close my eyes. I have overcome so much in such a short space of time. And yes, right now, I have not very much. But with what I have, I am ready for the new year. I can overcome any challenge that is thrown at me. Because I have hope. And I have friendship. Holy shit, I just read the other two endings, if I chose the other two sigils. Wow. Um... I am so glad I chose what I did. I'm incredibly grateful that I am as nice a person that I am. 
What Am I Rolling podcast was created, recorded, and edited by me, Fiona Howard. This episode's player was Fiona Howard. This episode's RPG was The Wishing Sigil, an advent calendar-style journaling horror game written by Banana Chan and Doug Lewandowski. You can find out more information about The Wishing Sigil on their Kickstarter. The theme music was 8-Bit March by Twin Musicon of twinmusicon.org, licensed under a Creative Commons 4.0 license. If you want to find out more about the podcast, check out the website. That's www.wairpodcast.com. Fancy getting in touch? Email the podcast at podcast at gmail.com. Finally, follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at WAIR underscore podcast for latest news on upcoming episodes. And remember, adventurers need not apply.